What's up, people? Welcome back to Authentically Us, the podcast, where we talk about what it means to be authentic in everything that you do in all spaces that you occupy. We got Tony, Tony the Morton, your man, the man. You know Tony, it. say what's up. What is up? As y'all know, Conroy's never alone. <laughs> and hey, I'm Conroy. And um, guys, before we jump in, give us a review. Give us a, a like, share us. Also, shout out to MSW Media, the network that has picked us up, guys. So now we are on a network. So check them out. But also, more importantly, check out this episode today. We have a wonderful guest. So we're going to talk about um, some trauma healing from a specialist. We got Karen on the podcast today. Let's jump in. Let's get it. Hey, welcome back to another episode of Authentically Us. Today, y'all are in for a treat. We have Karen Eselstrom. Uh, She's a beloved daughter of God, a trauma healing specialist with the organization World Impact. She's a master facilitator specialist in adult classic trauma healing. So... Hey, Karen, how are you doing today? I'm doing great. How are you? We're doing well. What's up, Conroy? Hey, hey. Excited for this. Oh, yeah. It's going to be good. Uh, Karen, talk to us more about who you are and what you do. So, yeah. um, I My role with World Impact is a trauma healing specialist, which really means that um, my role is to... Uh, lead healing groups and train facilitators to to lead healing groups. So I had to work with people because of the pandemic. I've been able to work with people all over um, the country as well as in Canada. I also did a group with um, some friends in um, Africa. So uh, because of Zoom, um, just been able to see this work expand um, exponentially, really. I had no idea that it could uh, grow so fast. So that's what I get to do. I get to be in those circles and and uh, help people walk through that healing process themselves, and then train them to facilitate those spaces. So it's a it's a real honor. Yeah, that's so, so awesome. good. It it sounds uh, rewarding as well. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. That's awesome. Talk to us about what your childhood was like. Oh, so I grew up in a very small town in Kansas. Um, I was not a country girl, but I I grew up on Main Street, but I was just a small town girl. Um, Yeah, just sports, music, you know, we were involved in everything because we could be a small town. I had like 25 people in my graduating class. Um, wow. Yeah, it was, <laughs> it was a, probably a very different experience than most, you know, people have had. Um, so, but it, I mean, the, I think it helped me value community. Um, just like, I love going to the grocery store and just running into people when I go visit my parents and, um, yeah, so there's a real strong sense of community. I feel like that, that, that upbringing gave me. Mm. So. That sounds a lot like where we're from, except for the graduating 25 people, <laughs> but where we're from, it's like, you go to the grocery store and you'll see a person you went to high school with, yep. you'll see your teacher from high school and you'll see like the pastor that it, it's, yep. it's yeah. a very unique experience that yeah. I don't think a lot of people ever get to experience. Um, so I'm, I'm actually curious now because you live in San Diego. So for me, it was a weird transition. So what was the transition for you? Like going from a small town to like, San Diego, which I say is like a <clears throat> like a large big city or like a large small city. Yeah, I mean, definitely it it's been a transition. I mean, I always get really excited when I run into somebody I know at Costco or you know just 
because you never, you never really run into people like, you know, I'm used to. And so it's always a real treat when, when you actually run into somebody, you know, at the store or at the mall or, um, yeah, just, I'm, I'm kind of always looking for those connections. So it's kind of something I miss. Um, mm. And I think I feel like so I've lived in several different cities. I've lived in Dallas and um, Chester, Pennsylvania, which is not really um, it felt really a small community and um, very much was a helpful transition, you know, um, for me from the Midwest to the East Coast. Um, But it's been it's hard because it's harder to get to know your neighbors, I feel like in in California. People don't mm. hang out in their yards because they basically don't really have yards. And <laughs> you know, I don't know. It's just, it's, it's a little harder. And yeah. I kind of miss yeah. that community feel. So. Oh, that's so good. So, so g- growing up, what was your knowledge and exposure to mental health? Ooh. Very little, honestly. I kind of remember talking about some relative that went to an asylum Salem. I mean, just like it always mm. felt like this. Mm. I don't know foreign. how to explain it. Yeah, very foreign thing. Kind of, kind of. I just kind of had this image of just cold, sterile, kind of creepy. Yeah, mm. yeah. And um, I my grandmother had had a mental breakdown when I was a toddler I believe I don't really know the timeline but that was kind of always in my back of my mind and I I didn't really you know didn't really understand that and so but that we didn't really talk about it to be honest um I just kind of remember it just kind of being something you don't talk about very much Mm, mm, yeah so when when did the when did the switch switch happen because I I I really remember those same things you know growing up and you'll have like you know that that crazy uncle or you'll have like you'll hear things like i can think of you know a couple of people that tony and i went to school with that yeah. just kind of randomly disappeared and it's just like i don't know what happened but it does sound like foreign like mysterious thing so when did the switch happen for you to be like no this is actually what i'm actually interested in mm-hmm. let alone passionate about well, it's kind of fell into it based on my own brokenness. Um, mm. Just coming to a point in my own life where things, I knew things had to change that were happening to me. And I knew I felt like I was losing, kind of losing my marriage or that we had two kids at that time. And I'm like, there's something seriously uh, broken inside of me and it needs to change. Mm-hmm. And, um, and it just kind of like the Lord just began, he'd been kind of showing me before this, this was like 1995, but before that in, in college, um, just beginning to show me different things. I remember I went through a time that I had been on summer staff with world, world impact and, coming back and just being completely burned out and being an RA and just like in this really dark, dark place and supposed to be leading others, but it's just like, I can't leave myself, you know? Mm. Um, And I remember being on the phone with my dad and he just said to me, he's like, I'm not getting off this phone until you can tell me what Jesus did for you. And it was kind of like, I was having a hard time even verbalizing what he did for me it was just like it was like there's could not speak it out and finally I was able to speak it out and something kind of broke and my dad said you know it's always darkest before the 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 morning you know the dawn and Mm. it was kind of like that that prick of light started to come through and I went back to my dorm room and there was this little uh note on my door that said you're special and then it said, uh, Psalms 51, 10 through 13. And it's creating me a clean heart of God. Renew a right spirit within me. And <clears throat> what stood out to me was verse 13. And it said, then you shall teach transgressors my way 
and sinners will turn back to me. And I felt the Holy Spirit at that time is you've got it all backwards. Mm. I have to do this deep work of um, healing your heart before you go and share, share who I am. And so I felt like that's when it started, but it kicked into high gear, you know, many years later. Mm. Um, but he began to show me himself in a different way. Um, I'd kind of had some experience with the charismatic movement at that point. Um, but I didn't know the spirit as a gentle presence. And I just remember um, I was at this um, seminar at, at my school and a lady was talking <clears throat> and about suicide and different things. I can't even remember, but she was going to pray. And I was probably uh, about two thirds of the way up. And I, I looked at her, I, I thought she caught my eye and I'm like, no, she didn't catch my eye, you know? And so, but then she started to move and she moved all the way up to where I was. <laughs> I was wow. just like this. And, and the presence of God was so gentle and loving in that space. And somebody behind me said, she's feeling rejection and her name is Kathy. Well, my name is Karen, you know, but they were close in the ballpark and I'd never had this experience before. And they prayed over me. And that's when God began to reveal a deep root of rejection in me. Mm. Um, but it just, it didn't really, he, he didn't really get serious about the healing until like 1995 when that, that root of rejection was interfering with my marriage. Like I could not receive love. Like just, mm. I just couldn't, mm. everything was filtered through a root of rejection. And that's when God began to heal my heart. And that's how I kind of fell into this uh, mental health or trauma or healing ministry. Yeah. So it was really just his own healing of me. So, so prior to that, which it's so, it's so beautiful how the Lord like touches us all differently. Right. And it was like you, you needed that gentle spirit, that gentle touch. Sometimes people need to get knocked off their feet, you know? And, um, so I'm, I'm curious, like before that, you know, what was your like track? Like, what were you, what were you doing prior to, well, I guess you were with, um, you were with world impact, but like, what was your track prior to that 1995 moment? Uh, with my okay um yeah i think he was can can you get, give me a little more about like what what you mean by that like i guess i guess the question i'm asking like before you you kind of jumped into the mental health and trauma deep healing what were you kind of doing before that or even focused on doing before that right so i went to um I went to school and I was thinking about being a teacher and I realized that's not what I want to do. And I knew that, um, I really wanted to learn more about the Bible and I wanted to learn more about helping people. And so I kind of, I don't, I actually created my own major, got to choose all the classes I wanted oh. to the best, like two years of my life. And I got to, um, sit under Richard Foster. I don't know if you know him. He wrote like Celebration of Discipline. He's very contemplative. Um, and that was just a very practical class about, you know, we, everything he taught, we did, you know, we did it in class or we, we had assignments. And so God was using that to form my heart and to teach me to listen to him. But that really wouldn't kick in till later. Um, but mm. he kind of like gave all this foundation for future things. Mm. And um, I got interested with um, in like work with World Impact through just a work project. Our college um, bunch of us went and did a work project. And that led to doing a Bible club once a week to doing summer staff to like going to church there to it becoming my the, the the staff and the and the church community becoming my community and mm -hmm. then felt led to to join staff right after that so we i've actually been with uh, world impact a long time 
30, like some year, 36 years. Man, congrats, first of all. That is amazing. Um, can you talk to the people a little bit about what World Impact is for those who don't know? Yeah, it's an urban mission. Um, we've gone through many different phases throughout our 50 years. So it started really with children's Bible clubs, teen Bible clubs, um, to um, more discipleship, to uh, holistic like thrift stores, schools, camps, to really now we are um, resourcing urban leaders to fulfill the call that God has on their life, either partnering with local churches um, or people that feel called to plant a church. Um, and so we do that in different ways through urban church planning school, like a church-based seminary, which um, helps train uh, leaders. It's very, um, it's, it's a pretty, it's like a four year, uh, 16 modules um, of seminary level classes. Um, trauma healing is one of our, uh, uh, programs and then um, uh, uh, prison ministry, which I should, should remember that because my husband's a prison ministry director. <laughs> but helping um, helping churches become more um, welcoming of returning citizens, and also helping mm. um, get church-based seminary into to prisons and mm. trauma healing as well. And so, yeah, that's just in a, in a nutshell. Yeah. So it. It seems like World Impact is is really focused on a lot of restorative justice. Um, talk to talk to us about how does trauma and justice go together? Well, that's a really great question. Um, I think they go together hand in hand because um, injustice is often the root of trauma, right? Um, it, that, that brokenness of people's choice and voice being taken through a traumatic event or prolonged events or repeated events and justice is to make that right. And so it has to, healing has to come. I think that Jesus modeled that when he came. Um, mm -hmm. It was about binding up the brokenhearted, to set at liberty the captives, to um, lift the oppression, right? And, and to proclaim this year of Jubilee, the favor of the Lord. And that was to, to set things right. And um, so it, it has to go hand in hand. Um, because justice is needed because of the trauma. And um, so, you know, when I think of trauma, you know, it's that deep wounding mm. and it's a response to something that happened. And it, it causes people to not really even know who they are anymore. It's disorienting. And healing has to take place to, to, to be restored. And I think that, that God, God is all about restoring um. mm. yeah I, I tony and i talk a lot about just different mental health things but we also believe we're strong strong believers firm believers of uh jesus plus therapy um and then when, when we hear words like trauma you know you hear that word kind of thrown out nowadays um in your in your opinion like what would you how would you describe that and then also is it hard for one to recognize that like personally, you know, like, I guess what I'm saying is it like, is it hard for like, say I, I, I do a certain thing all my whole life and I'm like, Oh, that's trauma. But is, is it like hard for somebody to recognize that like personally? Yeah, I think it is. Um, especially if you're in it and it's chronic, it's mm. hard to, to see. It's hard, like if you're in a abusive situation or an oppressive situation because it's so disorienting, mm. it's, I think it's hard to know you're in it and um, it becomes normal um, until something disrupts that to see, oh, wow, that's not, that's not normal. That's not what uh, 
that's not what you know should be happening um mm. i don't know how else to say it it's just like yeah it's uh it's wrong right um so but something has to disrupt it a lot of times before people can can see it you know like they have to see something else to like oh wait um maybe this reality i'm living in is not normal mm -hmm. yeah i did want to ask and this this is like a, a free therapy session for our listeners what what are certain what are common what are common maybe traumas you see and then what are also equally what are like some practices that maybe somebody like recognizing that can can instill yeah um in in our groups grief is like huge mm, because yeah, all yeah. Mm. trauma involves grief um there's a loss of something wow. yeah and that's so good normalizing the grief journey is something that we do in the healing groups is like you know grief is a part of trauma and so we have to go on this grief journey because it's god's gift to us to heal if we try to what we call take a false bridge <laughs> and and um, try to skip the grieving journey then we're going to have to go back around and go through that grief journey before we get to a place of new beginning or a new normal, because it's not, we're not ever going to go back to maybe what it was before a crisis event or, you know, you can't, you can't undo everything that's been done. Right. But you can come to some place where you're um, accepting of the facts, not that it was good, but that, you know, you accept your story. Um, you've been through a process of healing and you are looking towards the future and what the future might hold. Does that, mm. that make sense? No, that's good. Yeah, that's so good. Um, what is the power in naming what someone goes through as trauma? Oh, that's a great question. Um, I think it makes you see that you're not crazy, mm, like that yeah. this happened to you and it wasn't you, like it's something that happened to you. And mm. um, a lot of times when, when, especially when we're talking about uh, sexual traumas or uh, racial traumas, those are things that people didn't choose. They're things that happened to people and it's or even like spiritual abuse it's it's something that's happening to people and they don't really have a choice in it and so to to name it as that it's like oh wow this is something that did happen to me and i'm not completely crazy you know and this is why these things are happening and i think we have to look beneath the surface of what we're seeing like a lot of times particularly um in the church we look at people's behavior and we want to change the behavior, but we don't want to look at the, what's underneath the surface to why they may be behaving that way. Mm -hmm. And I think yeah. that we want to get to where we ask the question, like what happened and, mm. you know, like what's going on and, and really learning to be, to be with people in their trauma. Mm, so good. That's great. So, um, can you talk to us? What is spiritual abuse? Great question, it's, Tony. Yeah, it's a great, great <laughs> question. I hope I do, Justin. But it it's when those in authority use their power to control and manipulate people to get what they want to maybe like elevate themselves um and using scripture mm. twisting scripture um yeah. to you know cause people to feel guilty or like mm. you know to go in the direction they want them to go and they don't have voice or choice or you know they, they feel compelled to follow that person 
um, that's that's what I I think it is. So. No, I think that's good because um, I feel like maybe more people may experience that <clears throat> than others. So thank you for defining that, especially in in like I think about how I grew up in in black church. Even now, I see. Um, a lot of people who grew up in like small black churches where some pastors is kind of use and abuse their power and then throw scripture on it. So things get blurred and then you get 30 year olds, 30, 40, you know, 20 year olds who are going through life with crazy church hurt because of the spiritual abuse. And sometimes I don't necessarily think it's the pastors are even recognizing it sometimes. Um, but I do think it is a thing. And, you know, even me being a leader in a church, that's one thing I try to avoid at all cost. you know, especially with like the younger kids and stuff. I, I try to um, like simple as like giving some, giving a volunteer a break and not scheduling them every mm-hmm. week, you know, as simply as like when they text me, they can't serve. I'm like, okay. You know, like, and not making anybody feel bad for that. Cause I think, mm-hmm. I know I have uh, experienced some church hurt. I'm sure like all of us have at in some shape or form. So thank you for uh, defining that. That was, that was beautiful. Yeah. And I think too, you kind of, you, you alluded to it, but I think shame is a huge way like mm, that we shame yeah. people into doing something and then they wear this coat of shame and um, it's shame is just so damaging. Um, it, it keeps us in hiding and wow. keeps us isolated mm-hmm. and it's you know we can't be the body of christ if we're wearing these you know coats of shame mm-hmm. so good. Okay. yeah that's good um so if there's someone listening to this that has been through trauma or spiritual abuse but is having a hard time naming it in owning that, how would you recommend that they process through that and name it as such? I think you have to find a safe person um, to really process with somebody outside of your normal cir- circum, you know, circles or you know, can't really necessarily be someone in, in your church or in your organization, you really need to find someone you trust outside that can give you an outside perspective so that you're not, I know when somebody had mentioned something to me about, well, that's spiritual abuse. And I was just like, what, you know, like I didn't see it, Yeah. but it had to be somebody outside when you're kind of telling your story that they're going to they're going to be able to validate your experience. So I think because if, because everybody in it is kind of in it. (laughs) So they can't necessarily see and help you see, but it has to kind of come from the outside. Mm, Yeah, Yeah, that's great. Um, Talk to us about what, what you still want to accomplish in your career. Um, well, I have a real deep passion and, and heart for, um, uh, healing of racial trauma, um, and being a part of that, that solution. So, um, that's part of my certification with the trauma healing Institute is with generational trauma, which is healing the black, white experience in America. And so I just really want to Go, move in those spaces more um, because I think it's like it's an absolute necessity for the body of Christ mm, we cannot mm. the the world is not going to be able to bring racial healing that can only happen yeah. through Christ wow. and so, so that's good um, you know for me as a as a, a white woman you know, I've had to come to my own awakening um, to being white and taking off the shame of that at times because of the hatred that I've seen, um, you know, through 
you know, like I just always have these uh, visuals of like just white faces just screaming at Ruby Bridges walking into um, the school. And I think how in the world, you know, and so I've had to wrestle with the shame of feeling that like being white and feeling that um, and um, but knowing I have to take off the shame and embrace who I am because I can't change that. That's something that God, you know, God made me yeah. um, white and yeah. it's a part of his Imago day. And um, the only way I'm going to be able to be a part of the solution is to accept who I am. Let God love me as I am and let his over uh, the overflow flow into my relationships you know, what, whatever relationships God's, God gives me and be a part of the solution and really learn to just be in those spaces and listen, mm. um, listen to my black brothers and sisters stories of, of racial, um, injustices and, and not, and not, um, invalidate them or anything, but mm. really just listen and lament and repent. Like, even if I wasn't a part of it, it's like, no, as, as a white person, I grieved over this and, and, and the systematic, um, systems in our country that, that a lot of that, that we don't, even as white people, we don't really see, and we have yeah. to, we have to see it. Um, and we have to listen and, and identify and um, be a part of the healing process, mm. um, because we have to show we have to show the world mm -hmm. that it's we we will be known by our love for one another. And mm. if we can't be unified, we can't um, we don't represent the bride of Christ the way it's supposed to be. Yeah, that's so good. What. I, I'm curious, what was the moment that you became aware of your whiteness and your privilege? Oh, well, I mean, I feel like it's been this thing that's just kind of unraveled. And that's, I mean, there were these moments, um, you know, I, I mean, like I grew up in a small town where there was very little to none diversity right um to going to college and playing basketball and having teammates that were black um and going to dallas and working in a community that was white that was changing over right and mm. and being mm. welcomed into a black family's house and feeling their love and warmth and you know and then living in the city cross-culturally for 36 years, the thing that stood out to me is that the hospitality I felt in the Black community has not been reciprocated. And that grieves my heart. Mm -hmm. Like, mm. you know, people have loved me for who I am and have accepted me. But if, if, they were to move into a white community, I don't think that they would have that same, um, uh, how do you say that word? Reciprocity. <laughs> yes. Oh. Um, Better word, Tony. Good job. <laughs> and um, it did, that just grieves my heart. Like, yeah. it just, it's not, it's not what God, it's not his ways. That's not his way at all. And um, that's why I think that justice, ha you know, the restorative justice has to be a part of the church. We have mm -hmm. to have uncomfortable conversations and we have to um, put ourselves in a place of repentance and forgiveness and lament and sitting in the suffering and with hope that, you know, healing can come if we do. Mm. So. Um, but it's been a process. I think uh, the book Wide Awake was helpful. Yeah. Um, I feel like uh, The Heart of Racial Justice was also a helpful book about social change, uh, soul change leading to so societal change, you know, mm. like that we have to start here with ourselves, letting God heal us 
so that we can come together and healing can come um, so that we can be unified in the body of the, the unique Imago day, you know, the, the colorful, unique, you know, beautiful image of God. Um, mm -hmm. Because racism is, it's attack on the image of God. Yeah. Yes. Yes. I, I, first of all, I just love that you're stepping out and in, in doing this because it, it is needed and your awareness like speaks volume, you know, and the fact that you are, um, you know, reading these books and I think it's, I think, I think books are great. I think movies are great. I also think, you know, re personal relationships with people and having conversations like this open conversations where it's like, um, there's no defenses up. It's just like, yeah. I want to learn. And I think that has been something that I have valued. I think you said something that was super, um, that stuck out to me was about kind of getting through the shame because I felt like, you know, after 2020, it, I know a lot of my white friends who I'm really close with, like felt this shame uh -huh. and I get it. I get it. Um, but I, I love that you said it's like loving who you are and understanding who you are and starting inward first. I think that is the key to freedom for for ourselves, but also freedom for the church. Mm -hmm. So I love that a lot. Yeah, it's good. Um, So how, talk to us about how you don't give up on the church. And I say that because what we we're talking about right now, the church doesn't get. And oh. so what keeps you not quitting on the church? That's a good question. Um, because I know Jesus is not the church. I mean, mm. I, I, I know him. And I know his heart and I know his heart for me and I know his heart for you all. Um, you know, as, as, you know, like as human beings, he loves us and he hasn't given up on the church, like his bride. Um, and so I'm not going to give up on his bride either. Does his bride frustrate me at times? Yes, but I'm a part of that, bride. So, yeah. you know, I yeah. can't, you can't really separate yourself out because it, it's almost like I have to stay in it because I, I can't help be a part of the solution and part of the change. If I separate myself and say, forget you because you just don't get it. I have to keep just going in. And what enables me to keep going in is my relationship with Jesus. Like, mm. you know, that that's, it's in relationship that I healed. It's in relationship mm. that I was able to let him lift off the shame, you know, and see that he took shame for me so that mm. I could live free of it and that he wants to have a relationship with us. That's why he went in the garden and he said, where are you? <laughs> where are you? Mm. You know, like, you know, so he, he goes looking for us and I think he goes looking for his bride and, and those who really know him, are going to respond. Um, mm -hmm. and, um, there's always, you know, there's that parable, the, the, the wheat and the tares and Jesus said, just let them grow up together. It'll be shifted out. It'll be sifted out in the end. Um, and so I think we just have to keep loving her and, um, being the example of what it means to be, um, the pure and chaste bride by like learning to love ourselves and love each other and um, work for unity, work for healing, um, work for empathy, you know, mm. and uh, I don't know. We just can't, we, I just can't give up on that. Mm. It's so good. That's good. I had one last question for me. Um, I love to do this to Tony all the time. Um, so Tony is currently in grad school to be a counselor and he's obviously entering into the mental health 
realm, what piece of advice would you give somebody like, I don't know, like Tony, who's who's going to grad school for this? Oh, I mean, knowledge is good. Um, but I think for you, for for someone who's a believer, I'll just put preface it that way. Um, I think we're going to find out who we are in relationship with him and in just knowing those good good rhythms of just of just being in his presence and letting him speak his words of affirmation over us and our belovedness is if you if you're doing that the counselor the spirit of god inside of you is going to help you use all the tools that you learned in in school or in for me like on the job training you know as he's healing my heart it's the spirit that gives inspiration to those mm. tools and so you know just continuing to nurture your relationship with with the lord um will make you really effective because he mm. said that if you abide in him then you, the fruit that we bear is lasting you know um because that, and that's the way I see it. It's like, I can only bear fruit if I'm abiding in him. And so that's mm. my most important job of, above anything else. Mm. That's so good. Um, what are some things that you do that help you find peace and balance with everything you do? Um, creating space in my schedule for play. <laughs> mm. Um for me, maybe going for a walk on the beach, um, like even putting my feet in the sand, um, being with, I think one thing that really helps me is uh, when I check in with my sisters and where we're like talking about um, things that are on our heart, processing together. Um, yeah, that's for me, that's invaluable. Like I need spaces myself as I create spaces for others to heal. I need those spaces myself. And so that helps pace my, that me, you know, cause they're going to say, Hey, you're doing too much. You know, might need to slow down, take a break. Um, yeah. Just really allowing my heart to be vulnerable with other people's mm. people helps me pace. That's um, good. Yeah. And beauty, like being in nature, I think too. So mm. that's so good. Uh, last question before we transition to our next segment. What does it mean to be authentically you? I think just taking out, you know, just living out of my true self um, as um, in relationship with, with God Um it means taking off the mask, you know, um, it, it means allowing my heart to be vulnerable, even though it's scary. Um, mm. and yeah, like going into places that take courage when I'm like fear and tremble, you know, I know, I know if I look at myself, I'm like afraid to go there, but going anyways, because mm. I know that's where God has called me to go. Um, I think that's, that's being authentic and it's just like going even though you you're shaking in your boots or whatever yeah mm. man man that can this has so been good amazing so much wisdom this one was very dense with knowledge and and wisdom and gentleness um but you want to transition to our next segment which is called rapid fire bing, 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 bing. Bing, bing. So rapid fire is where we ask you three questions <clears throat> where you give the first thing that comes to mind. So don't pass go. Don't open a book. Don't phone a friend. Just first thing that comes to mind. Super right. deep questions, by the way. Okay. First question is, do you prefer beach or the mountains? Oh, mountains. Wow. Oh, okay. Okay. Because you live in both. Uh, we family vacationed in the mountains from Kansas. We would go to Colorado. So there's really like font, like 
that's kind of my happy place. Although the beach is becoming that. So, but I, Mount, you said first thing, mountains yep. came to my mind. So mountains it is. Good. <laughs> um, if you had to delete all but three apps from your smartphone, which ones would you keep? Um, messaging. Uh, <laughs> is it an app? <laughs> uh, let's see. Um, that's the only one I use, really, to be honest. <laughs> uh, is messaging. Um, yeah, I don't know. Oh, Spotify. I would not. I, I need Spotify. So I can listen to you guys. Um, yeah. and, um, let's see. Probably WhatsApp, just because the people international, I, I need to keep in contact with them. So Sounds like you need to, yeah. like, you need, like, a dumb phone at this point. Because you, you're only using, if you're going to use those three apps. You can you can downgrade, save a lot of money. I I know I know. I, I <laughs> if don't have find a very expensive it. phone either. So <laughs> yeah, yeah. The last question is: What is the last book you've read? Oh, what's the last book I've read? Um, can, can it be one I'm reading? The Anatomy Absolutely. of the Soul. Absolutely. It's yeah. called The Anatomy of the Soul by Kurt Thompson. It's so good. It so good. Very good. Yes. Are you an Are you a reader or are you an audible? type of person a reader okay tony and i do audible because if i would read a book i would still be reading the first one i i tried to a while ago um <laughs> but again thank you again these are awesome thanks for these answers um where can people find you or like what do you have going next let the people know um well i'm not too big on i mean i mean not a uh, big on social media presence but i do have facebook so karen Estrom. um but you can find me at my email is uh kesselstrom.1984 at gmail.com um yeah what what i have next is like more trauma healing <laughs> more trauma healing groups mm -hmm. um facilitator trainings that's that's pretty much my full-time gig so any books coming Oh, well, I do have a project going. It's just started. Um, I've been asked to be a contributor to a uh, generational trauma stories. Um, so it's basically five black, five white that are going to tell inspiration, uh, tell their story in an inspirational way for reflection. Um, it will be kind of a tool to help people think deeper about their stories and about racial trauma so you heard it here first exclusive, exclusive. yeah i was just throwing it out there because i'm like man you should write a book with all this but i love it this is she great. is that's awesome well karen thanks you thank you again for hopping on our podcast we're so thankful for you i'm gonna run this one back a few times because it has so much um power in in yeah. everything you said um so again thank you we are thankful for this podcast. And until next time, Karen, be authentic in everything that you do. Yeah, thank you. It's been a real pleasure to be with both of you. And thanks for asking. Absolutely. Of course. Take care. All right. Tony, this was another... Another, another gentle one. one. Another gentle one. Oh, it was so good. That was so, so powerful, especially when she just kind of talked about her part and how she wants to kind of transition into helping with justice and merging and building back the foundations and kind of reverse engineering racism, essentially, but yeah. from the church lens, which I you don't hear of right i love how she said that it's like it's not the world's job it's the church's job so i love that yeah i i love that too i you know i think churches need to be on the front lines of what it means to pursue justice and um fight for you know equity like because that jesus was all about it we look all throughout the scriptures. Jesus was justice focused 
so how can we be a people that claim his name but don't do justice it doesn't make sense yeah so good yeah i'll definitely listen to this one or rewind that back i'll slow it down i won't go on one 1.75 speed this time (laughs) sounds good man i probably will because i'm crazy like that (laughs) (laughs) um hey y'all know what time it is it is time for the friendship quiz the quizzes of all quizzes and tony do i got a question for you i have faith actually in this question because anybody knows me they should get this right so if you get this wrong tony ah we might lose some fans to be honest just to be just to be quite frank no pressure right yeah no pressure tony <laughs> what is my favorite tv show oh of first prince of bel-air come is on your, now is that your final answer <laughs> bro of, of course it is <laughs> okay good good job tony yeah guys he got it right if you would have tried to say i was wrong i would call you a liar <laughs> on the podcast <laughs> and told people to come for you <laughs> hey guys tony got it right see we are friends you know there are there are some things some things we know about each other you know i know that tony gets a new pair of glasses every uh three weeks hey you're just <laughs> mad <laughs> They look good though, man. Thanks, bro. Hey guys, thank you for tuning in. Again, shouts out to uh MSW Media. Check them out. We are now part of their network. You can find us there. You can also find us on all uh platforms. You listen to podcasts, we're on Instagram, social media, every social media you can find us. Until next time, y'all be authentic in everything that you do. Peace out. Peace out, y'all.